Hey, it's Mike here from Music Radio Creative. Just before we get into this episode, I wanted to let you know about a free exclusive audio download for you as a podcast listener. If you'd like to claim it, head over now to mrc.fm forward slash play. That's P-L-A-Y, mrc.fm forward slash play and enjoy the episode. Want the exact Adobe Audition multi-track template we use to produce audio at Music Radio Creative? Get it at mrc.fm slash presets. Hi, I'm Mike Russell from Music Radio Creative. Welcome to the Adobe Audition podcast, where I'm interviewing power users of Adobe Audition. We'll reminisce back to Cool Edit Pro and take you right up to date with Adobe Audition CC. If you'd like to learn about audio production, everything from vocal effects to radio imaging, commercial production to music mixing, join my next audio production course at mrc.fm slash learn. That's mrc.fm slash l-e-a-r-n learn. Master Adobe Audition. Training, workshops, one-on-one coaching, courses. Head to mrc.fm slash learn. My guest today is Mark Edward Lewis. Mark has spent nearly 30 years writing and producing musical scores, developing sound design, editing, writing, and directing films and TV shows. He's also the host uh, of Sound Advice. That's a tour that's been uh, in North America and Australia, where he's taught over 1,200 filmmakers about improving their production values and getting a better sound. Not only that, Mark is the author of uh, many books, including the Audio Mixer's Secret Handbook, Live Audio alchemy and i believe mark might be able to fill us in on this that there are a couple more in the pipeline already including cinema audio alchemy and film music audio alchemy uh he's the main presenter at cinema sound you can check out they've got a fantastic youtube channel uh that i discovered with all kinds of advice on um, making good audio uh for cinema uh and just great sound production advice but not only that if you already own adobe audition cc uh go into the help menu click audition learn and you will find Inside Audition Learn. Uh, I think it's nearly two hours of audio production advice, tips and tricks, and tutorials on how to use Adobe Audition. Uh, so, Mark, very busy man. I really appreciate the time. Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Michael. Obviously, you've created Audition Learn uh, inside the app, but tell us a little bit about how you're using Adobe Audition. I use Audition uh, in a whole lot of ways, not just to teach and show the um, the nature of how to get good sound. It's it's uh, It's got a lot of things in it that no other digital audio workstation has. And some of those things include this crazy, I, I, I actually met the gentleman who built this, it's called Remix. And uh, a lot of times in music, uh, especially when you're doing library music cutting and these kinds of things, you know, you really need the music to hit certain uh, parts of the screen, parts of the video. You also need it to be a certain time, especially if you're doing bumpers in or bumpers out. And a lot of times that can be difficult to cut because you have to find where the um, music points are, the form points of the music, and then, uh, you know, try to make a musical cut out of it. Well, this thing in Audition called Remix is, it's like magic. You just literally tell it to analyze the sound and then change the length of it. And it comes up with a musical arrangement that 99 times out of 100 is incredibly useful and shockingly good. Um, I use it for that. Um, I also use it when 
Um, there is a situation with ADR where there's a sync problem and we just can't quite get it right. Um, it has an amazing, uh, another magical thing in it called automatic speech alignment. Automatic speech alignment's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing magic. And um, I use it for that. And then it also, um, uh, you know, for really quick things where I need to do fast edits uh, in audio, it has this, again, another good sound button called the essential sound panel filled with all kinds of stuff that normally would take a professional a lot of plugins and some time and a lot of button clicks to get right but they've taken the essentials of what we professional audio people tend to use everything from compression and EQ to denoising and hum removal and these kinds of things, limiting, and kind of put it into a nice little panel that's also available in Premiere, um, but uh, for audio only uh, because of auditions capabilities and dedication to great sound, um, as opposed to a multimedia experience, uh, I use Audition. Um, and then also, uh, you know, I go back to the educational tool to learn the basics of audio, how to mix, how to edit, how to deal with denoising, how to deal with spectral layer fixing of the siren that got into that take that can't be redone. Um, there isn't a better tool than Audition, not only because it's really easy to use and makes a whole lot of intuitive sense, but because almost everybody has it if they're a Adobe Creative Cloud user. Well, no, everybody has it if they're an Adobe Creative Cloud user. That's awesome. Some really, really cool uh, features there that you've uh, you mentioned. Uh, remix, absolutely amazing. Automatic speech alignment, um, which uh, is is just like you say, it's magic the way you can match up uh, a voice that you recorded at the time with an, a new voice later on uh, and make it match and sync, obviously, to the, the lip movements and essential sound. Fantastic stuff. So um, I'm curious because you use Adobe Audition, I would imagine, in parallel with uh, um, a software like Premiere Pro. Uh, so tell me a little bit more about how you're sort of linking together uh, the use of Audition and Premiere. I remember when uh, I found out about what's, what they call dynamic linking for the first time, and I didn't believe them. I'm like, they're, the hardest thing for we in audio land to do is to get... Uh, audio from a video timeline or a non-linear editor into a digital audio workstation. It's almost like, you know, two programs that just don't want to talk to each other. And even if you go from a fellow program from a similar company like um, Avid to Pro Tools or even Final Cut to Logic, it's it's like, wow, guys, can we just make this work? <laughs> you know, can it just be easy? And it never is until someone showed me dynamic linking, which it just keeps getting better and better where we do a cut, uh, even a complicated cut with many tracks of audio uh, and video effects, after effects, which also can be dynamically linked uh, projects brought into Pro Premiere. And you can send it in seconds now to Adobe Audition and have that video directly linked, actually using the Premiere Pro timeline video in real time. And all the audio comes over with colors and names and positions. Uh, and, and it's really amazing. What is even more amazing, and I was blown away by that, but what really got me was the dynamic link um, collaboration with Media Encoder, where um, not only does Audition update its picture once someone updates the Premiere Pro project picture, but when I'm ready to export my audio, if I'm a filmmaker and I've done all the audio myself 
and all the picture myself on the same computer, I can send the audio and the video in via dynamic linking from audition to media encoder and be able to export the video and the audio and any anything that media encoder will do all the multi-tracks all the after effects plugins everything else into op 1a or dot mov or mp4 anything and it just goes lickety split and it's super fast multi-threading aware um I don't know that, well, there isn't, as far as I know, anything that will get even close to that kind of conforming capability cross-platform. Absolutely. And uh, what I'm hearing you say is just the the linking between the apps inside Creative Cloud uh, are fantastic and, and top of their game. Now, Mark, you've um, you've been in this industry, in the audio and film and TV production industry for 30 years. You must have picked up some really good advice over that time. Um in particular, just watching uh, some of your tutorials on Audition Learn, some of the, the mic technique and the uh, the use of microphones um, was really interesting and really helpful to watch. I'm curious uh, what audio production advice you've received over the years, and probably if you could maybe pull out a single bit of really good advice you've received, what would that be? I've got a lot of great advice uh, from really smart and really talented people, but ironically, the best advice I've ever gotten for production audio has nothing to do with production audio. It has to do with whatever it was that you want to do that you're passionate about. And uh, that's from my uh, composition or uh, conducting and composing to picture uh, 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 professor. Sorry, that was hard to get out. Professor um, Gerald Freed, who has written so much wonderful television music uh, for everything from Star Trek to Hawaii Five-0 back in the golden days, really wonderful composer. And he, uh, he told me, he said, look, Mark, here's the thing about being in the film industry as an audio person. And he met even as a composer, as a mixer, a recording, re-recordist, uh, a recording, anything in audio. He's like, look, if you're able to keep working after being up all night and your eyes are bleeding and your ears are ringing and still get excited about having your coffee in the morning, knowing that you haven't slept for 36 hours and keep doing this, he goes, then you might, this might be the career path for you. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. And boy, he was right. There, there have been times where uh, in the studio in particular, where we'll have mixed for 17 hours straight. And for those of you who have seen Cinema Sound, you'll know, you'll be like, hey, wait a minute, you say never to do that. Well, yeah, we actually mix at a low volume, a low volume so that we have, so we don't hurt our hearing. But, um, you know, just getting the dialogue in a generally all right place, the sound effects and the right ambiences, Foley, Pan, you know, the stuff that you don't need to listen and be really acutely aware of at a strong level. We were doing it for, we've done it for 17 hours and get the espresso out in the morning and laugh and go, you know, this is hard, but we love it. We love doing media. We love doing all of this. And if I had never heard that advice, I, I might not know. I might've woken up one day and going, wow, this is really hard. But Gerald, Jerry was just like, Hey, if you can do this, then you might make it. This might be the career path for you. Then, um, the next best actual audio advice harkens back to something I just mentioned, which is listening level. And we don't talk about how loud or soft we listen we listen to audio in any capacity, whereas it might affect how we perceive it. But we know for sure that our mechanical audio devices in our head um, 
the the ear and the neuro the neurological connection to the ear is absolutely affected powerfully by how loud something is. Not only how much we like it, but how much bass and high frequencies we receive and how how easily that is to perceive them. So one of the best advice I got was make sure that in your final mix, in the final thing you're listening to for judgment and is this going to work, that you're listening to it at the same volume as the people that are going to be listening to it in the end result. What does that mean? Well, we know that if we're in a theater, we're listening to the dialogue at right around 85 dB, somewhere there. And that's pretty loud, <laughs> which because it means that, um, you know, in a theater, that's the dialogue. The sound effects are a lot louder than that if they're, you know, explosions or things like this. But if you're on the internet, you're doing an internet mix, that dialogue or even a podcast is going to be much, much softer and much, much less, uh, have much, much less audio bandwidth. You're not going to get any frequencies below 80 hertz on a laptop speaker or really any frequencies above 16 hertz. And some other things are going to be changed. And if we're listening in a really pristine, beautiful studio at 85 decibels for an internet delivery, I promise it's not going to sound like what you thought it would uh, when you listen to it back on your laptop on YouTube. So there's two bits, good bits of long-winded advice. I'm really pleased that you expanded on the um, the idea of listening level. Um, it's not something that you hear spoken about a lot, but uh, not only what, what you've just mentioned there, I guess it's important also to protect your hearing. So, I mean, for instance, right now when we're recording this podcast, do you, do you tend to have your headphones at, at a low level to, to protect hearing? How do you, what's your take on, on protecting your, your hearing in this industry? Well, that's, you just mentioned two different things. And right now, yeah, my headphones are, uh, that I'm listening to on, um, actually my cinema sound headphones. Um, they're very, very low. I have probably at just above 65, maybe 70 DB because, uh, if I hear them too loud, then I start shouting on my microphone <laughs> just, you know, cause I, you're loud and then I have to be louder. Um, but hearing, um, there's a great article on cinema sound where we go into this, um, in America, we have a, a government basically a government-run agency called OSHA. And basically uh, its job is to make sure that workers are safe, not only hearing, but, you know, people have to wear goggles when they're, you know, and, and don't get their hand caught in a, you know, saw blade or something like this. And OSHA, um, I, I think it's a great start when it talks about hearing exposure because there's three ways to get hearing loss. One is through sharp transients. Another one is through blows to the head or disease, some actual trauma to yourself. And then the last one most people forget is exposure. How long are you exposed to a loud volume? And you know, your ears are pretty re resilient little devices. You can listen to, um, you know, uh, 90 or 100 decibels for a few minutes and it's still okay. But um, I like to take the OSHA levels that they say uh, are okay and, and half them. That's been my experience. So for me, um, I don't really experience any kind of weird issues with my hearing at 80 decibels if I keep that listening to under eight hours. And then 90 decibels for two hours and then 100 decibels for a half an hour. And then I do everything I can to not listen to anything above 105 um, uh, because it's just it starts getting really wearying. Um, and if that's the case, if that's true and it is for me, what it means is if I fly to you, Mike, um, from Los Angeles where I am, which is, you know, 11 hours, give or take, um, I'm going to damage my hearing if I don't put hearing protection on in the plane because planes are typically 79 to 82 decibels worth of noise. And that means when I get off your plane to see you, 
um, I, I've experienced some amount of hearing damage. So I, your hearing is your most, um, the, the most precious uh, sense that we have. And a lot of people say sight is, and I totally get it. It's really hard to drive blind and be successful, <laughs> but um, there is no LASIK surgery for your hearing. And although they've got little implants that they can do now to replace damaged uh, mechanism there, it's still, there's no way to fix it uh, mechanically. And, you know, people who are deaf suffer from a great deal of depression because it's you're separated from the rest of the world and my father actually right now is having to deal with some of that and um, he's a professional musician and it's very difficult um, just psychologically emotionally for him to feel separated from conversations whereas a blind person still has that definite connection to the universe around them so uh, I do everything I can to carry earplugs with me at all times and if a movie gets too loud I'll pop them in because uh, I got at least 40 more years of these ears. And when I'm 70, I still want to be able to hear 12,000 hertz. Mark, you're, you're making me turn down my headphone level as I'm speaking to you. It's <laughs> <That's> amazing. It's <laughs> very impactful. And uh, my goodness, the thought of being on a plane, uh, damaging your hearing. That's uh, So what's the best thing to do there? Earplugs or um, noise cancelling headphones? Yeah, anything that can bring down your headphones. I have an article on Cinema Sound where I actually, uh, and unfortunately illegally, was using my phone while driving to sample the decibel level in my Mazda 3. And when I was on uh, uh, asphalt. You, you don't call it asphalt, the dark stuff. What do you call it? Tomac. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was 75 decibels, which is fine. That's fine. But when I was on cement, you know, a concrete, it was 79 decibels. And uh, I was on an airplane ride actually to Australia and uh, just happened to do it there. And it was 85 decibels for 14 hours. Not good. So let's talk a little bit more about projects you've worked on and projects you maybe intend to or hope to work on in the future. Uh, I know you mentioned just a moment ago about uh, you know you're going to be able to work in this industry if you can be up all night and, and still want to keep going and keep doing it. So tell me about uh, one of those epic projects, uh, a really challenging project that maybe you've worked on uh, during your career as an audio producer, sound mixer, uh, film and television uh, director and editor. What's the most challenging thing you've you've come across or worked on? Anytime, that's a great question. Anytime that uh, I get someone else's project, it's almost always the most challenging thing because most people have no idea how to create or record great sound on set. And to be fair, it's a very difficult thing to do uh, with you know cameras now that are digital and whir and make all kinds of weird noises. You know, cleaning dialogue is a can be a full time job on a feature for a week or more. But uh, the one that really got me, and it actually refers back to that 17-hour day. We did two 17-hour days in a row. Um, we did 17-hour day. We slept for a while and then came back and did it again. It was a project called We Women Warriors. And it was a, an amazing documentary on three women in South America that are just trying to live life um, amidst rebel wars, the government wars, and the drug lords in, in where they are in South America. And uh, separate women who didn't know each other, and we watched them. Well, this incredibly courageous woman filmmaker went down there with a cameraman and a simple shotgun microphone and recorded all this stuff, uh, you know, stuff that's just, it hurts. It's so gripping and so real. Well, her deliverable was a 5 1 mix. 
<laughs> when you've got gunfire and sound effects and all these other things that and ambiences in mono, you're like, well, shoot, this is never going to work. We have to recreate it. And we took every sound that would have otherwise and was otherwise recorded on that little microphone and remade it, remade it in surround. And we realized um, that it was going to be important to take her mono dialogue and create rooms even though she was outside a lot of the time, but some kind of an ambience that was in the surround speakers from a very short reverb to give it more life. Otherwise, it was so center channel heavy. And uh, we spent an awful lot of hours making that in a very short amount of time. And uh, we were very pleased with it and it won awards. The audio did so. Uh, But it was brutal uh, (laughs) to try to go, hey, thanks for a mono mix okay okay here we go so you were literally you were taking pretty much every single sound effect um outside of the dialogue and and recreating it we were recreating everything and uh every sound every donkey uh clip clop um every ambience every gunshot every explosion every scream um, that was not otherwise in the dialogue, shouldn't have been in the center track. We had to recreate. And some of you are going to go, well, you do that in features anyway. And you're like, well, sort of, except in features, we create it and it's not exi- it doesn't exist in the dialogue track, right? So in a feature, it's just dialogue. And we know that the foley, the footsteps, the clothing, the explosions, the ambiences, we're going to add. But in this case, it was in the dialogue track. We couldn't take get rid of it. So we had to find a way to mix what was in that center track, duck it if we could and recreate it. It it was really complicated. So looking forward, um, obviously you've got a lot of projects you're working on at the moment. Uh, I know, for instance, uh, the the couple more books, hopefully uh, you're working on for this year. Um, Is there any one cool thing that you would like to work on that you haven't told anyone about yet, maybe? Well, I am telling people about it on Cinema Sound, but the, the coolest thing that I'm, we're all so excited about at Cinema Sound is our Foley library. And, you know, Foley's a pain. It's fun, but only fun if you have your own Foley studio and your little, you know, pit boxes and you can get out there in the dirt and record and perform. I mean, it's fun. It's dirty business, but it's fun. But if you don't have that and you don't have the money to hire hire somebody to do that or somebody good you're sitting there dragging audio files and you know it sounds like a video game instead of like a movie it doesn't it just really doesn't work and in the cinema sound education we show you how to do it on your you know you can do a lot of it yourself but there are just some things that just don't work i mean how do you do footsteps in dirt in your closet without a whole lot of work what we're creating at cinema sound is a comprehensive foley library dedicated to independent creatives that have um, you know, everything like, uh, oh, tennis shoes on dirt, soft tennis shoes on dirt, medium tennis shoes on suit, uh, dirt, loud, uh, running, uh, shirt, you know, uh, touch shirt, move loud, soft, medium hit, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these Foley categories batched onto a piano keyboard so that you can perform them via MIDI instead of audio. And you're like, well, why would I want to do that? Well, imagine that you perform some footsteps on dirt and the director or the producer or whoever else, or you get into the mix and you realize, wow, these really, this, this isn't quite what I want. Well, right now you either have to re-perform them, boo, or pull out all the audio and re-drag in all the audio files again and re-edit them, double boo. In this case, you just say, I've got the performances locked in in MIDI. I'll just change patches. And now I've got 
I've got uh, tennis shoes on cement. I'll change patches again. I got uh, tennis shoes on linoleum. It's going to be so useful. It's going to revolutionize how the independent filmmaker does Foley and adds that all incredible, all, all important immersive element of Foley to their pictures. And from your description there, I think um, most people will pick up uh, what Foley is, but for anybody not in filmmaking, how would you describe uh, what a Foley library is? That's such a great question. Um, Foley itself was uh, in, created, not created, but identified by a gentleman whose last name is Foley, uh, that when he was doing recordings and realized it was impossible for the onset recordist to record things like uh, jacket movement or even footsteps or hands on a table or even hands together or a kiss. A microphone recording dialogue is really not equipped and certainly not well positioned to record that. So he found a really efficient way of remaking and reperforming all of those human noises as seen on picture in post-production. We call that in his honor Foley. And that's footsteps, it's handshakes, it's kisses, it's touching somebody's beard. It's anything that a human being makes while on picture. Um, and the difference between Foley and a like a hard sound effect is that a sound effect theoretically it is not directly interacting with a human body. So um, a, a good example might be if I... Uh, push my phone onto a desk that's Foley. But if I drop it on a desk uh, and it hits the desk and I'm not in contact with it, that theoretically is sound effects. So let's, uh, just before we get into uh, more into the depths of Adobe Audition uh, and and some of your your takes on what you're using and how you're using it, I'm just curious to know, um, you've been in the industry for a while. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing right the way back to your childhood, uh, you probably from a very early age had an interest in audio. And I'm curious to know uh, where that started from for, for you, Mark. What's your earliest memory of of audio and thinking, wow, this is, this is cool, I want to do this? Become a great audio producer. Learn the secrets of creating great sounding audio. Go to mrc.fm slash learn. This is my favorite question. Um, and, and I start just about any presentation with how I got into music first, uh, music for picture. Um, if you've been to Hollywood at all, you'll know about Man's Chinese Theater, which is that grand theater on Hollywood Boulevard with all the cement handprints and footprints where all the stars get that, you know, done there. And uh, it was 1977. Uh, I was five. For those of you who are good at math, you'll figure out how old I am. And um, I was there with my grandparents seeing this weird movie. This kind of an independent feature. And uh, it was weird. It started out with this weird orange text that came out and went for a while. And then this big ship comes through and blows up this other ship. And then there's droids. And this little five-year-old boy was like, whatever that is. I'm going to be a part of it. And it was hard because I was really committed to being a paleontologist at five years old. I love dinosaurs. I was like, I'm going to dig up more dinosaurs than anybody ever. But I walked out of that theater going, whatever that was, that's what I want. And fortunately for me, I was born to two professional musicians who really understood the nature of audio, not just music. And when I was telling them about it, they said, well, it sounds to us like what you were really in love with is how you felt. And I was like, yeah, it feels amazing. And they're like, well, that's music. That's the music that did that. Not the, I mean, as cool as the effects were and Luke Skywalker and all of that, it's the music. And then I looked up John Williams and I was 
a super fan from five years old <laughs> and realizing at that point what music did. Um, that's what had me go into film music, which had me get into editing, which had me get into audio post, then post-production, then filmmaking, then producing. And it's all John Williams' fault from Man's Chinese Theater. Fantastic. So um, you say you were fortunate to be born to musicians. So um, what did your childhood look like with, with learning uh, ha- how to create music and, and playing musical instruments? What, what were you uh, doing then? It's sort of funny. I, I don't remember not playing piano. My mother said it was my first language. Um, I started playing professionally at nine. But um, what uh, my mother recalls is that I would learn to play the pieces and then I would fix them to make them what I thought was better. And I would like, well, that's not how Chopin should have done that. It should have been this way. And then I would, you know, change them. And that became the basis of my learning that, hey, I can write my own music from scratch. So I was playing piano from whenever. I started playing cello at nine. I started playing guitar at 15. And I picked up drums somewhere in there. And then uh, as I started writing music for film in my early 20s, it was a whole lot easier, or not easier, but cheaper for me to buy an ethnic instrument than hire someone to p- play it. So I would find these weird instruments like duduks and um, you know old uh, uh, Scottish bag, not Scottish uh, Irish bagpipes, and just learn to play. It was terrible, but you know the wonder of nonlinear editing allowed me to chop notes and fix bad parts and reperform it at my leisure. And all of a sudden, I started you know sounding like an amazing player, which I was absolutely not, thanks to editing capabilities. But that's kind of what it looked like for me. Getting into uh, Adobe Audition, obviously we touched on this a little bit at, at the start of the show uh, where you were talking about uh, remix and automatic speech alignment and, of course, the uh, relatively new Essential Sound Panel. I'm curious, Mark, if you had to pick out one feature, only one feature in Adobe Audition as your favorite feature, what would that be? Oh, I just, I sell people every day. They should give me a commission, Adobe should. I sell people on Adobe Audition with Remix. I, I whip up, uh, in fact, again, we may do it today, but um, I, 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 people are like, I don't know. I like Pro Tools. I, I, I like Nuendo, especially music people. And, you know, and, and it is, a, you know, I'm working with, audition, uh, with the Audition team on getting MIDI implementation more and more into Audition because musicians are sort of left out. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a, evangelist. Can you talk more about MIDI? MIDI. Oh yeah. Well, what is MIDI? Um, MIDI is um, Music Instrument Digital Interface. It's this archaic but incredibly vital um, codec that musicians have been using to connect digital inter- digital devices like a keyboard or a guitar with a computer. And that's generally speaking the, the 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 code that is talked about from keyboard to software and in a music program like logic or cubase or nuendo or pro tools or one of these other music based recording systems and it's recording key ons like you push the key on and a little piece of data goes down the cable and the computer goes aha there's a key on uh, data that i'm recording here at this time and then when you pick up the key there's a key off that's sent so that when it plays back it goes, oh, I'm going to trigger this sound at this time, and then I make it not trigger. Um, and that's the very most horrifically basic nature of MIDI. Um, Audition has some great MIDI implementation for its controllers. So if you've got um, 
you know, anything like a, uh, well, actually, I don't even know. I can't even think of any MIDI controllers right now. But if you want to move faders or change pan knobs in the mix window, it definitely does that. It even uses some of the uh, Avid codecs that are so, so great um, and, and uses them very well. But there isn't a way to plug a keyboard into Audition and play sounds on Audition and record your performances. Or if you're a guitarist or if you're a wind player, it doesn't do that yet. And I, I am... Uh, 150% committed to see that happen. <laughs> I can't, you know, I can't do anything about it except say, yay, this will be great, you guys. Um, but uh, it would change everything. And for me, uh, Adobe is the only company in the world that has programs accessing every aspect of human artistic expression, including sculpture if you use a 3D printer, but not music. And uh, I just, I can't wait to see it show up and uh, I pray it will soon. Amazing. That would be definitely a, a game changer for Audition. Um, it'd be interesting to see if, if that happens, you know, how that would change the, the user base of Adobe Audition. It, it would be able to do pretty much everything. Uh, what I tell everybody is that, look, uh, especially if they're an Adobe person, is like, look, every Photoshop, almost every person who uses Photoshop is in one way or another a frustrated musician. And I'd say that tongue in cheek, of course, it's not true. But obviously, uh, people who are in one kind of art usually are in another kind of art too, because it just goes without saying. And if the Photoshop community had access to linking or dynamically linking their ability to make music with Photoshop or After Effects or even Premiere, uh, yeah, it would be a complete game changer uh, for Adobe in general. So let's talk about uh, workflows and time-saving shortcuts uh, in Adobe Audition. I know, uh, Mark, that you, you've shared uh, plenty of your knowledge inside Audition Learn, so um, anyone listening can find out more there. Um, and it's, it's quite interesting to see the tutorials and see the way you use it. It's, it's lovely to see different ways of using the software and different shortcuts that you don't even know exist. So maybe you can, you can share uh, some of your favorite uh, workflows and, and shortcuts. I actually learned one yesterday sitting in Adobe Live with Duran, who's uh, the head of uh, development for Adobe Audition. Um, and it goes along with um, something that I blow podcasters' minds away with. And you probably know about this, Michael. Um, when you use a marker in the spectral or waveform view, um, it unlike many digital audio workstations, Audition allows you to have markers which also possess duration. So that marker can actually mark an in and an out or a space in between. And many podcasters want to get rid of breath noises. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of editing to do that. And although in Audition, it's probably the fastest program to do that in, um, it's still a bit cumbersome. In the spectral view, waveform view, you can set duration markers for where the talent is talking and then leave out where they're breathing and do it pretty fast using certain key commands. Once you've done that and save, it save, Audition saves those markers in the audio file as long as you're saving in WAVE or AIF. Those markers can show up in now any digital audio workstation and, and anyone else, if you need to send it to, could basically see those edits and do it any way, use it any way you want. But the real brain blower is if you go back to the edit window and engage the button on the markers window that says see all markers for all projects or all files, I think it is, you'll see all those markers in the edit window. You can select all, drag them to your timeline, and, and all of the dialogue that you've selected will show up 
nicely bundled together with no breaths and it's one stroke and it's all there. It's crazy. Then what Duran showed me is you can do that automatically from the device, is it device control? Um, but basically you can pull this down and say, hey, set certain parameters that allow you to say, well, if it's this loud, like the dialogue, mark it. If it's this soft, like the breaths, don't mark that. And then it, you hit scan and then mark all and then boom, all the markers are done automatically for you. It's nuts. Wow. Wow. That's that's super cool. So yeah, like you say, you can you can get the markers in place and you can you can be cutting out um breaths or, or gaps that are a little bit too long in, in podcasts. Really, really cool stuff. And and you also uh, touched a, a little bit on spectral frequency display. Uh and I've seen you using that in really cool ways, in particular on your uh, cinema sound channel. There was one video I, I particularly uh found that I, I, I found really, really cool. Um you were basically scribbling on some dialogue um, and creating a whole new sound design. That's that's cool. Um, so yeah, some some really good stuff. I, I always like sort of looking at the the, the features and, and seeing how you can hack them. And, and that video in particular was really like, wow, that's cool. And it just opens up a whole new world. When when you work not only in waveform, but also in spectral, so you can you can isolate frequencies. It's it's really cool stuff. Anyway, I'd really like to get onto um, to gear and resources. Um, so, I, obviously, you have a you have a fantastic setup, a studio uh, with so much kit in it. Um, tell me a little bit more about the the resources, uh, the gear, your favorite kit that you use uh, when you're creating audio. On Cinema Sound, we have a whole lot of sponsors, and uh, I sometimes get accused of just promoting sponsor stuff because they're their sponsors, and. While that may be true for some folks, um, I don't take sponsors unless I already use their gear or I love their gear and have used it. So when I say to you that the speakers that I recommend everybody purchase, if you're a budding filmmaker or just want to really up your game, are the JBL um, LSR 305s. They have, they're, they're the new Mark IIs just came out. They're like $150 each. They're retail ridiculously flat. They sound great. You can stick them anywhere. They're light. Um, I'm telling you, I owned them long before they were a sponsor. Um, they're, that's what I tell everybody to go get. Um, I use them uh, when in a pinch, uh, in a surround fashion. Um, they have a little bit of a high-end uh, excitement, but as long as you know that, what they provide you in clarity in the low end is like nothing. You can't get in any other five-inch speaker. It just doesn't exist. And for the price point, you're just so golden. Um, our main monitors are now the Series 7s, um, the JBL Series 7s, which are like you've died and gone to heaven, change your religion kind of stuff. They're amazing. Um, the interface that I have been using since, Wow. I was in college was some form or another of Mark of the Unicorn audio interface. Um, the one I'm using now is their 1248. Um, but the one I recommend filmmakers get is their ultralight Mark four. Uh, it's got everything you need in it, including time code in and out. And um, if you want to do recording on set, which it can definitely do for with your microphones. Um, I love that. Let's see uh, kit. I'm running a Macintosh. Um, I don't mean to diss Apple. But uh, I know your P- PC users are like, yeah, dis Apple, dis them. Um, 
it's, I'm no fan of the trash can Mac, the little round thing, because for those of us in the audio world, we need PCI slots. We need them for all kinds of things. If for nothing else than expanding your USB capability. Um, I have a magma chassis, which gives me actually seven more PCI E slots because I use all kinds of stuff. Um, but my Mac is an old, in the main studio is a, an old 2010 12 core that I've uh, up, up, uh, what do you call it? Up clock to 3.6 gigahertz. It's got 128 gigabytes of RAM thanks to the OWC RAM upgrade um, that they give you for like, what is it, $600? It's ridiculously cheap and all of a sudden you got 128 gigs. Um, it's, it's great. It's a great, great old machine. Um, the 2012s are also really good. Um, and then in the studio, uh, I didn't even know about Prime Acoustic. Uh, for audio treatment. Uh, we all know about RLX, but honestly, RLX um, is more money and less service than Prime Acoustic is doing the same thing uh, for less money and better service. So um, they also do these really cool things where you can print your logo or anything you want on these panels and hang them. And you've seen them. If you look at any of the cinema sound videos, you'll see cinema sound prime acoustic on these panels and they'll, they'll still do anything you want. And it's really great, especially if you're doing podcast or video casting or, or, or like you do, Michael too, like you could have some of those things in your studio and just have anything you want on them. It's like, put your happy face and everybody sees three or four of you. It'd be amazing. What else have I got in that studio? Oh, we've got the Slate Digital Raven. Oh, are you kidding me? The Raven, it's uh, for, for you who are PC users, it may not be that exciting because you already have touchscreen capabilities. But imagine if you could just grab your faders in Audition or in any of the digital audio workstations that you want to use. Um, it doesn't yet support Audition. They're working on that. Um, but I'm going to put out an article very soon where I can show you how to edit excuse me, doing, actually doing edits in the timeline with key commands that you trigger by putting multiple fingers on the screen, twisting your hand, splaying with two fingers, three fingers, four fingers, five fingers, zooming. It's, it's like a whole new, it's the next generation way of editing and moving things around in the timeline. And for the price point, um, it more than, uh, at, what is it, $1,000? It more than makes up for its price point with when clients walk in and they see you touching a screen and editing, they're like, whoa, this guy is so cool. Or this gal is so cool. <laughs> we want to hire them again. Actually, I remember one of your audition learn videos uh, and you were showing how to very quickly zoom in and out and uh, you, you just hit a key and you see everything and then you hit another key and you're back in the waveform view. And you say, that's a really good way to impress clients. <laughs> Hopping around the multi-track quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be the head engineer at Michael Boddicker's studio, Michael Lehman Boddicker's studio, uh, Soul 7, and it's, in my mind, the best studio to mix in in Los Angeles. He's he's done all the keyboard parts for Michael Jackson and Quincy Jones, and all, I mean, he's just you know a venerable staple of pop music. And when we were building his studio, his first concern, other than sound, was it has to be producible. And if you have clients coming over, your studio can't look like you know a bachelor pad. It has to have some kind of appeal, even if it's just some cool central piece of gear or even artwork. Um, it's got to have something that people go, well, you know, his clothes are on the ground, but boy, that studio was so cool because of whatever it is. And the Raven brings a lot of that producing factor, a producible factor to it. That's great. What about mics? Oh, mics. Oh, I forgot all about that. Um, if you know Royer Labs... Um, they make ribbon mics, um, wonderful ribbon mics. Well, before they did that, um, the man who invented that 
technology, not ribbon mics, but the Royer Labs microphone. His name is Dave Royer. And he lived down the street from me in Orange County, uh, Los Angeles, California. And uh, uh, he was working out of his garage and I bought three of his microphones. Now, these microphones are irreplaceable. They don't make them anymore. Uh, Mojave Audio, which is their sister company, makes a certain version of them. But uh, it's a U47 capsule, which is you know a beautiful old school capsule that has a really rich warmth and depth, but he's put uh, tube technology in a solid state shell. So it's the best of all worlds. It's the beautiful old diaphragms with, with, with uh, the new version of tube technology. So the tubes don't die all the time. And um, I've got three of those things. They are just like gold. I take them into other people's studios and they're like, where do we get these? I'm like, I'm sorry, you can't get them anywhere. Um, I've got a large assortment of Rode microphones. Um, I've got a good assortment of uh, Samson microphones. I'm actually talking to you right now on the Samson G-Track Pro because it's really simple to plug into my laptop and it sounds great. Um, and then um, I've got a bunch of shotgun microphones that I, I just discovered uh, last month sound great in studio. I had a situation where my neighbor decided to have somebody come over and chop his trees down while we were doing a session with players. And no matter how much soundproofing you have, if somebody's out there with a buzzsaw 10 feet away, you're doomed. And I, I had all of my microphones out and I thought, wow, this is gonna be horrible. I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna make this work. But I whipped out the NTG3, the NTG8, the NTG4, the Sennheiser 416, uh, the NTG2, <laughs> I just whipped them all out and plugged them in and said, well, let's see what happens. Put pop filters in front of them for the vocalists and then just ran them direct um, to the violins and violas. And I got to tell you, Michael, I was, I was really afraid. Like, what is this going to sound like? But it, they really came through for me. Um, and there was no sign of those buzz saws. Uh, the last microphones that I use that I'm really proud of, um, which uh, I actually learned about working on a project in London called The Great Dance is these old Russian microphones called Octavas, the MC-012. And uh, you can buy them in America now. They've, they've remade them. They're a little bit different. But the ones that I have, I have four of them and all the capsules. They don't sound anything alike because they were handmade. They had like zero quality control. But I tell you, except for trombones, which have a lot of air, they sound great on everything dialogue, voice, uh, any double reed instrument, violins, pianos, everything. I mean, it's crazy, these things. And the new ones are fine too, but you can get a stereo matched pair of MC-12s now. But in those days, you know, 20 years ago, you couldn't. They'd all sounded somehow a little bit different. So that's kind of my mic cabinet. Finally, just to, to wrap up then, Mark, I would like to ask you... Um You've given some great advice that you've been given earlier on in the show um, uh, about if you can do this all the time, constantly, all night, ears ringing, and still keep going, this is the industry for you. Um, if you had to give your own piece of advice to a, a young and aspiring audio producer uh, who wants to get into the industry, what would your advice be? It depends on how old they are, and I'll just break it into uh, folks in college and folks out of college. Um, if you're in the college age, even if you're not at college or younger, um, get to your nearest college and even not so near college and befriend, take out to lunch or coffee every uh, filmmaker whose work you like at that school. You're going to get eh, one chance in 20 that one of those filmmakers is going to go somewhere and do something great. 
and they will hire you and they will remember you. And you'll learn a ton being on their sets, way more than you will being at their school as a student. Um, work with them. And I tell composers this all the time, befriend every student at your local college that has a film program of any kind, even if it's not so local. Then if you're out of college if, age um, or older, um, by then my guess is you've already got a career that you're doing. Um, financial matters obviously are important. Like if you have a family, you don't want to drop everything and you know go wild on gear because um, the bills, strangely enough, keep getting, keep coming. So what you've got to do is start it as a hobby. And there's no, there's no shame in that. Um, go buy your first microphone. You know, we have on Cinema Sound a beautiful and growing archive of actual recordings of all the microphones, many of the microphones that you're going to want to take a look at purchasing. And you can listen to them for yourself and go, oh, that one sounds great. Um, and then uh, and certainly we're happy to help you on Cinema Sound, as I know Mike is, find great value in microphone choices and recorders and all this other stuff that you'll need. And then just befriend as many, uh, again, filmmakers, you know, they don't have to be at college in this case, but, you know, just start looking around for getting on projects that you could, you know, cut your teeth, um, find the best mentors who may be doing that kind of recording or mixing or whatever it is that you want to do already. See if you can sit in on their sessions or go be an assistant with them or hold a boom pole on set, get your experience as a hobbyist. And then when you're ready to start marketing yourself, you know, set a good price and be a good businessman or woman, and then slowly start transitioning your finances from your nine to five or whatever job or career you have into being that full-time, loving your life, doing your dream audio person and whatever that looks like. Um, and to be fair, and this is a, a little hard, but to be fair, almost everyone that I know who has made it in the film or media industry has done so in real estate. So sometimes it's okay to keep your other job or your other investments um, and do your dream, start it as a hobby, then transition it as you feel more comfortable and keep up in your gear game. And it's so much easier than I'm just going to jump in. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really hard thing to do. Yes. There you go. That's cool. I really like it. So Mark, you've been more than generous with your time today. Uh, some fantastic advice. And I, I think one of those episodes, uh, a lot of people want to go back and, and play again, just to, uh, listen back and, and hear some of the tips that you've given out during the show. Uh, so really, really appreciate that. And just finally, um, if anyone wants to find you online, Line, where would be the best place for someone to go? This is great. Cinemasound.com uh, is the kind of the hub. And then uh, my Twitter is Lewis Mark Edward, L-E-W-I-S-M-A-R-K Edward. Um, and then Facebook, just search for Mark Edward Lewis and you'll see my happy bald head. Amazing. Mark, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, sir. So wonderful. If you want to grab the exact Adobe Audition template I use, head over to mrc.fm slash presets. That's mrc.fm slash presets, and you can grab my Adobe Audition multi-track template there. Hey, it's Mike back again, and I just wanted to let you know, as a podcast listener, to go and grab your free exclusive audio download from us here at Music Radio Creative. Just head over to mrc.fm forward slash play. 